0: You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praycc.org. Following Jesus, it's one of those concepts that, you know, uh, when we say we're following Jesus, I mean, it, it can sound very, very simple in, in just the statement, but really actually living that out. I mean, actually following Jesus. When you really begin to put the rubber to the road on that whole concept, uh, it it becomes, at points, it can just become overwhelming. I mean, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Um, And thankfully, Jesus gives us a lot of insight into exactly what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And one of the avenues that Jesus uses to help us understand what it would truly look like to follow him um, are the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. And we've been uh, in a series uh, that we kind of started a couple of weeks ago, and we've been kind of really focusing on what I think is probably one of the most well-known teachings of Jesus. Even people outside of Christianity, other religions, look to the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, and see there is just some incredible, well-known, respected teaching. And uh, you can look in Matthew chapter 5 if you've got your Bibles with you this morning. And we've been looking at that, uh, the blessing of being poor in spirit. We've looked at kind of the blessing of mourning. And so today, I want meekness. What does it mean to be meek? Because Jesus says in Matthew 5, 5, he said, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. So to be blessed is the goal. And and so part of what Jesus wants to do is he wants to bless you. And so he says, one of the means or the ways I want to bless you is through meekness and in that blessing of meekness one of the byproducts of that is is you're going to inherit the earth Now again, we've kind of talked about this whole concept this word blessed, you know again It's a it's a word we hear it's a word we may use It's a word oftentimes that we may not fully understand and so we've kind of talked about that whole Concept of being blessed really what that means is it is to be fully Satisfied to be content Regardless of the situation, the circumstances you may find yourself in. It, it's it's possessing the favor of God. That's what blessed means. It, it's possessing God's favor over your life. Uh, it, it also means having the kingdom of God alive, pulsating, living through, vibrant uh, in your Uh, heart. And and that uh, manifests itself in your life. So that is what it means to be blessed. And one of the pathways to that blessed life is uh, meekness. Now the New Testament Greek word for meekness is praetitos. Now New Testament Greek language is a dead language, so I can butcher that word, and none of you would know the difference so uh, it's, it's in, in the Greek the word their meekness is praetetos. and it really is kind of translated maybe in some of your Bibles if you 're looking at that verse this morning, you may find the word where it 's not meekness but maybe the word gentleness or kindness as a matter of fact. Most people in today's culture prefer the word gentleness or kindness over meekness because for many people, the word meekness kind of carries with it the idea of kind of being a doormat, of, you know, spinelessness, of weakness, of subservience. Um, some people mistake uh, timidity for uh, 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 meekness. And, and so they'll, you'll find a person and, and there's someone who just speaks really, really softly. And they're just very, very gentle with their words. And somebody would say, oh, that is such a meek person. And that is not the virtue or the quality of meekness. And I'm thankful for that, because if that was the case, I would never stand a chance of being meek. (laughs) What are you laughing at, Jim? So meekness, it's not just coming across as soft and gentle and, and quiet. It's, it's not a, uh, meekness is not a personality temperament of timidity. Again, timidity is often rooted in the fear of man. People are timid because they're fearful of someone. Oftentimes, timidity can be rooted in a low self-esteem. You don't think highly of yourself. And so you kind of have this doormat, this weakness, this subservience about you. That is not meekness. It is not a spiritual grace. It is not a fruit of the spirit. As a matter of fact, 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given you a spirit of timidity. So if you have it... It's not been given to you by God, and because it's not been given to you by God, he doesn't want you walking and operating and living in a spirit of timidity. What God has given you is the scripture says he has given you a spirit of power, love, sound mind. Some translations say discipline. So we need to break free from this idea that that somehow timidity um, is, is Or meekness is a form of timidity. So let me just kind of share with you three virtues, three qualities, three expressions of meekness. How it was really understood and applied in the days of Jesus in in New Testament times. The first virtue and quality of meekness was seen as the mean between the two extremes now this is this was a new as i 'm studying this out. this was a new kind of an insight for me in the whole realm of meekness Again, meekness being seen as the mean or the expression between two extremes. Now, according to the Greek philosopher Aristotle, he kind of saw meekness as it being kind of the middle standing, the middle reaction response between the two extremes. So Aristotle would, would say that the one extreme of getting very, very angry Without cause. There's no reason for you to be as angry as you are versus the other extreme is there's no anger. There's nothing there in terms of a response when anger would and should be the proper response. So Aristotle would say meekness is finding that middle ground. Finding that middle reaction between the two extremes. So on the one hand, there could be the extreme of excess, too much, okay? On the other hand, there is the extreme of too little, not enough. So you've got those two extremes. Aristotle would say meekness would be found somewhere in the middle standing, the middle response of sufficiency, meaning that it's just the right Amount Not too much, not too little, middle standing ground, sufficient. My needs are being met. So the virtue of meekness could really be understood as getting angry at the right time, in the right measure, for the right reason. You see this meekness. You kind of see this middle standing between those two extremes in Jesus' response uh, to the money changers in the temple. If you look at Matthew 21, you'll see that Jesus drives them out. He overturns their tables. Jesus doesn't go to one extreme where he's so angry that he's throwing people bodily out, that he's throwing punches. You also don't see Jesus in the other extreme where he kind of sees what's happening, kind of just turns a blind eye to it and says, it doesn't matter. It's not a big deal. Jesus sees his father's house, the scripture says. The temple, it's being used as a marketplace. The people there are being overcharged for sacrificial animals. And so Jesus sees what's going on and, and he says, you have made my father's house into a den of robbers. Jesus said my father's house was to be a place of prayer. And so in his anger that middle response Jesus restores the temple back to its proper place and function. So you could say a correct interpretation of Matthew 5:5 5, 5 could read blessed is the one who is always angry at the right time never angry at the wrong time. Now again we see these extremes play out in our culture. you look at the recent decision by the Supreme Court to legalize gay marriage in all 50 states. Now, look at the responses to this. ISIS, this Middle East group, ISIS, their response is they release a video of these extremists throwing gay men off of buildings down to their death And there is a mob of people standing around, witnessing and cheering and approving this. That's one extreme, albeit it is a horrific, it is an evil, it is a depraved response. Nobody, regardless of what you think of that lifestyle, no one should ever be treated like that. So that's that's an extreme response. There, the other extreme would be people who looked at this decision and kind of just said, it's no big deal. Now, I would say to you, regardless of where you are at on the issue of gay marriage, we just legally redefined and expanded marriage for the first time in the history of our country. A decade ago, most people would have dismissed an idea, a concept like this as ridiculous, impossible. It'll never happen in the United States of America. So whether you're for it or against it, I think one extreme to this decision is to simply look at it and say, it's no big deal because it is a big deal. And whether you realize it or not, It is going to have major ramifications both now and down the road. I recently saw a guy in Montana, inspired by the recent decision of the Supreme Court on gay marriage, has applied for a marriage license so he can marry another woman and have two wives. He says if the state refuses to grant me that license, I'm going to sue him. Let me just ask you, how do you argue against that? How do you deny him that in light of the recent Supreme Court decision? Why should the redefinition and expansion of marriage now stop at two men or two women having the right to marry? What right do you have to tell this guy you can't have two wives? What right do you have to tell this guy who he can love or how many he can love? What right do you have to force your definition of marriage on him? How does this hurt you? How does this make any difference in your life? What I'm doing doesn't shouldn't matter to you. I'm not hurting you. What business is it of yours who I love or how many I choose to love? He should have the right to do whatever he wants to do as long as it makes him happy. This was the same line of questioning rationale put forth by those who supported gay marriage more or less. And I'm trying to be fair in representing that point of view. So my question is, how do you argue? How do you mount any kind of a defense against further redefining and expanding marriage? Again, my point here is to respond to this decision saying it's no big deal is to me the exact opposite extreme to ISIS's response. Now, the ongoing perplexing challenge for Christian churches and Christians, you and I, becomes this. How do we respond with the quality of biblical meekness in the middle of these two extremes? It's interesting to me that when this decision was made, we were, were we on vacation at the time? I think we were. We were on vacation at the time. And it was really interesting because you had a lot of people on the side that were very supportive of gay marriage. There was a lot of celebration. There were a lot of people coming forward, commenting, speaking to the media on this. And it was interesting. Several, you know, well-known commentators, newscasters said they searched endlessly. They called every church, they called every Christian commentator, every religious leader they had in their Rolodex. And they said, no one, no one would come on their program to support the other side. They said, we searched, we looked, we could not find one person that that could come and, and mount a reasonable argument or statement about what happened. So what is the middle standing? If this is true, if meekness is that middle standing between the two extremes, what is the meek response in the midst of this decision? If the virtue of meekness, the expression of meekness is really to be found in that middle ground between the two opposing extremes, what is that response regarding this issue as it now currently stands. It's been totally changed. The institution of marriage has been totally redefined. They're looking now at going back in to all of the laws, federal state laws uh, regarding marriage and striking the word husband and wife and replacing that now with the word spouse. So th- this is just having a number of ramifications. I'll be honest with you, I don't have a clear, concise response to that question, but I do have a desire to seek one, because I believe we should, because this is not the only issue in our culture that elicits these kinds of responses and reactions. We have the issue of abortion. We're all very, we know what the extreme views on that are. Abortion for anyone, at any time, for any reason. There are people out there now that believe that you should even give time after the baby's born to allow a parent to abort that baby, even though it's living. That's an extreme, extreme extreme reaction to that. You've got people on the pro-life side. Their extreme reaction to that is, let's go out and let's kill doctors that perform abortions. Let's blow up abortion clinics. Extreme response on the other side. Meekness would call us to what is the middle ground? What is the middle standing amongst the two extremes? We see this in the immigration debate. I mean, Donald Trump is just, I I mean, people are, are, are... There are extremes on that issue, and Donald Trump is simply bringing to the forefront the passion that that America has regarding this issue. What is our response in meekness to this, to gun control? I mean, we have the intrusive overreach of government surveillance. War. What is the church's response of meekness in these extremes? Again, the virtue, the expression, the quality of meekness that Jesus is talking about here would call us to find that middle standing, that middle ground. As Jesus always did, the biblical response, what is that? So that we can put forth a very clear, concise witness of the power and the presence of Jesus Christ in our lives, in the midst of our congregations. So that is one way meekness is understood and can be applied. Second way the virtue and quality of meekness was understood and applied in the New Testament times was through humility. Now, what's going to happen here is, is as I get into this second one here, pride is going to rear its ugly head for some of you this morning. And what you're going to do is you are going to resist and push away what I'm about to say. And if that happens, I just want you to be aware that may be pride um, at work there. So I'm just going to give you kind of a heads up. I had pushback on this too. So throughout centuries, biblical scholars have always contrasted the quality of meekness with the quality um, of the Greek word, hoops, las, dera." Again, if I'm mispronouncing that, you wouldn't know it okay, in English, that word literally means, in the English language, lofty-heartedness. So they always kind of contrasted meekness against lofty-heartedness, and that's what you and I would call pride. Now, one biblical commentator made an interesting observation regarding this whole teaching of Jesus there in Matthew 5. He pointed out that each beatitude Suggest the next and leads to the next, and that as you go through the teaching, they become increasingly difficult to live out. Now, if you've ever tried to live out the Beatitudes, you would know that is probably true. Because the Beatitudes aren't just a teaching to memorize, they are a teaching to incorporate, to live out. And that appears to me to be a pretty valid observation as I've been studying the Beatitudes. When you recall this series, I talked about that first Beatitude being poor in spirit. Which essentially means that we become aware of, we kind of recognize our spiritual poverty before God. And that spiritual poverty is is where we are regardless of where you may be in your walk with God. It's where we are currently versus all that God has for us. And the, the spiritual poverty is that gap between where we are and where God would desire or God would love for us to be. It's what we currently possess versus what God would desire that you be able to possess. It's, it's seeing our great need for all that God has for us. The second beatitude, the mourning, blessed are those who mourn, is when we see how we feel. What is your response So that first one, when you look at that poverty of spirit, what is your response to that? Jesus said our response should be mourning. We're crying out to God saying, God, we want more of you. God, I don't want to be satisfied with what I have and where I am. I am satisfied, but God, I long for more of you. And so, Jesus would say, your response to that first one should be the mourning, the cry of your heart, God, I want more of you. I want to go deeper. The first two Beatitudes speak of our poverty, our lack before God, whereas the virtue of meekness speaks to our lack and our inadequacy before others. So, it... Recognizing our lack before God, meekness says, man, I recognize my lack. I I recognize the gaps that I have before other people. And that part of meekness is often overlooked or ignored for good reason. Because meekness is really the exact opposite of pride. The virtue of meekness banishes pride. It, It triumphs over it. That's why it's so important. Quintilian, the great Roman teacher of oratory, once said regarding his students, he said, they would no doubt be excellent students if they were not already convinced of their own knowledge. He says, in other words, he says, you can't teach anybody who thinks they already know it all. And again, pride is often one of those barriers that really keeps us from, from having an increase in spiritual growth, or having any kind of spiritual breakthrough. Let me quote the great preacher, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who served for many, many years as the minister of the Westminster Chapel in London, England. In his book, Studies on the Sermon on the Mount, he writes this referring to this virtue, this quality of meekness, and here's what he says. Here we are reaching a point at which we begin to be concerned about Other people. The first two, again, we're concerned about, we're focused on our lack before God. In the virtue of meekness, he says, now the focus shifts to where we need to be concerned and our focus needs to be about other people. He says, now I can see my own utter nothingness and helplessness. Again, that's spiritual poverty. He doesn't say that, but that's what it is. It it is my nothingness. It is my helplessness. I can't do anything without God's power and presence in my life. And he says, I can see nothing. I can see my own utter nothingness and helplessness face to face with the demands of the gospel and the law of God. He said, I am aware when I am honest with myself of the sin and evil that are within me, and drag me down. And he said, I am ready to face both these things. But, this is where pride will rear its ugly head. How much more difficult it is to allow other people to say things like that about me. He said, I instinctively resent it, I say of myself, I am a sinner, but instinctively, I do not like anybody else to say, I am a sinner. Amen? That is, he says, this is the principle that is being introduced at this point in the teaching on the Sermon on the Mount regarding meekness. He says, now other people are looking at me, and I'm in a relationship to them, and they are doing certain things. They're saying certain things to you. And he says, how do I react to that? What is my response to their observation? He says, that is the matter which is dealt with at this point. He said, I think you will agree that it is more humbling and more humiliating than everything that has gone before. Again, my observation needs to get more difficult The further down you go, he says, it is to allow other people to put the searchlight upon me instead of my doing it myself. He's saying, meekness is your response. What happens when somebody puts the spotlight of the spirit on your life and and lovingly, gently Begins to just maybe point out an area, a fault, a failure. Out of love. They're trying to help you. What is your reaction? What is your response to that? How many of you have noticed you can say mean, negative, cruel sometimes, unflattering things about yourselves that are true. But if someone else says those same things to us, we're ready to rip their heads off. It's one thing for me to say, I'm fat and I need to lose some weight. But let's be honest, it's a whole different ball game if you go to the doctor's office and the doctor says to you, you're overweight and you really could benefit physically, health-wise, by losing some weight. Even the doctor says the same thing. You've said to yourself, you believe about yourself, and he's actually couching it in nicer terminology than you do. And we get all indignant and all offended. Now the point that Martin Lloyd-Jones here is trying to make is he says part of that virtue, that quality, that expression of meekness reveals itself. When we can receive with humility and openness, there's a teachable spirit in there. There's gratitude toward that person who is making that observation about us, particularly when it involves a weakness, maybe a failure or a moral struggle in our lives. Again, pride would be the exact opposite. Virtue. meekness and what that does is it causes us to respond to observations like that saying who do you think you are oh you think you're so perfect well let me tell you a thing or two and often our response becomes more a defense and a rebuttal than an opportunity to just walk and exercise that virtue that quality of meekness. Now, just a word of caution here. I mean, obviously, you got to be careful. you got to be discerning of whom, when, and how to do this. I'm not saying that you should be going out there and doing that to everyone or that everyone should be doing that to you. That's not what I'm advocating here. There are people out there. They're Christians, born-again, spirit-filled Christians, people who love Jesus. They're not interested in this at all. No matter how well-meaning or kind the intent is behind it, They'll tell you, I love Jesus. I'm fine just the way I am. Please keep your comments, your insights to yourselves. Thanks, no thanks. That's fine. If that's their attitude, I just tend to just back off and and let them be. I know people who have said to me, if there's anything wrong with me, Anything that needs to be fixed, if there's any changes that need to be made in my life, the Holy Spirit will tell me, and I don't need you pointing out any of those to me. I'm cool with that. If that works for you, praise God. I'm not here to convince you that you're right, you're wrong, I'm right. I'm not here to confront, to change, to challenge your theology. There are people out there who just relish the idea of pointing out the faults, the struggles, the failures of other people, not because they're interested in helping you, not because they love you, not because they care about you, but because by tearing you down, it makes them feel better about themselves. I get that. I understand that. There are people out there, and nobody needs people like that in their lives. So again, you need to be selective. Be discerning about who you invite into a process like this. I have people in my life who I have invited to speak into my life regarding areas like this, and I have people who have asked me, I have permission to do the same for them. Outside of that, I tend to pretty much be careful how far I go or how much I would say to a person who has not asked me to do that. So be respectful as you're exercising this virtue and quality of meekness. Now, again, there's upsides, downsides to walking and exercising in the virtue of meekness in this way. As I've repeatedly said throughout my pastoral career, some of us have bald spots. All of us have blind spots. Every one of you in this room, including myself, we have blind spots. And blind spots are simply areas, issues of weakness, They're kind of those fault lines in our lives that for whatever reason, we just don't see them or we've just grown accustomed to them. They've been with us so long that we have kind of just have kind of accepted them as normal. We just see them kind of as a part of who we are. There are people around you who see those things and, and God may be wanting to use them to just come alongside you and, and just to help you, to support you, to pray for you, to encourage you in those areas of your life. And some people are just too proud to admit they need any help. And that's why they often remain stuck and unable to experience any significant breakthrough. I love what Proverbs 27:17 says: iron, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another there are just people that god wants to use in your life in a way of sharpening you and helping you to go to the next level and again we just need wisdom all of us need encouragement we need insights of other people we need prayer we need accountability love we need to be able to forgive to be forgiven no one is an island unto themselves You are not the lone ranger. God did not design you or create you to do this walk with him all by your lonesome. God may give you some insight and wisdom about a situation or an issue that maybe I'm going through or struggling with. Or God may give me insight, wisdom, discernment, maybe about something that you're going through. And again, there's an opportunity if I have that to be able to come and to speak that into your life or to have that spoken into my life. Yes, we have the Holy Spirit, but the same Holy Spirit lives in others as well. And there are times God will speak to us through other people. But again, do you possess the virtue, the quality of meekness to be able to receive that and to benefit from that? Third final way, virtue, quality of meekness was understood, and I'll, I'll probably just uh, go through this rather quickly since we're getting close to the end here. It's really kind of in the area of our God-given strengths, talents, uh, and abilities. And in, in fact, the word uh, pretos or meekness in the Bible was actually referred to uh, as th- and, and illustrated as a once wild stallion that has now become tamed. Uh, As a matter of fact, uh, it it would refer uh, often to that in other other Greek writings. So if you were to go out in the fields and you were to find this stallion uh, who is strong, unbridled, untamed, has this enormous strength, and you were to take that stallion and you were to bring it back and tame it, then the strength, the power, the ability of that horse has kind of been contained. It has been tamed. It has been brought under control of the one who now owns it. That's that's kind of the idea there of that Greek word meekness. A tamed horse is no less strong, no less powerful than an untamed horse It has just as much power. It can go just as fast. However, a tamed horse, a praetos horse, a meek horse, a gentle horse is one whose strength is now under control. It is contained, waiting, and ready for the owner's use. That's one of the ideas of that word meekness, pretitos. Now, again, we talk about this all the time here. Every one of us have been created by God. And you have been given very unique gifts, talents, strengths, abilities. And they are very powerful. I want you to understand this. The giftings, the strengths, the abilities that God has placed in you are extremely powerful. As a matter of fact, they are so powerful that when they are brought under the control of God, God can use them to impact and to change a world. That's how powerful the giftings, the strengths, the abilities are within you. But folks, it'll never happen. It'll never come to its fruition. Those gifts, those strengths, those abilities, they'll never come to their fullness until all of that is brought under the control of the one who owns us. Adolf Hitler was a very powerful and very influential leader. Billy Graham was also a very powerful, a very influential leader. These men both had strong gifts of leadership, no question about that. One man used his powerful and influential gift of leadership to destroy millions of lives, while the other man used his gift, his influence of leadership to bless and to transform others. The real difference between those two men are not the gifts, but rather how they used those gifts. One man brought his gift, strength, influence of leadership. He brought it under God's control, and the other didn't. Every one of you in this room, whether you believe it or not, whether you understand it or not, you have these wild, powerful, Strong, untamed gifts, strengths, and abilities within you. They were created and and specifically placed in you for a reason. God did and created you exactly the way he wanted you. And he equipped you in a very, very specific way with very specific gifts, skills, and abilities. There's not a one of us in this room that are exactly alike in that way. And because God, who created us, who placed those gifts within us, he also owns us. And he owns everything that he has placed within us. Meekness. The virtue, the expression of meekness is when we recognize those powerful, untamed gifts, skills, and abilities, and we simply bring them under the control of the one who owns us, the one who owns the giftings, the strengths, the abilities that he has placed within you. God, here am I. Use me. That's the expression that... Virtue, that quality of meekness, it's recognizing the gifts. It's recognizing the gift giver. I belong to him. Everything I have belongs to him. And my expression of meekness is to give that back, to recognize he is Lord. He is owner of me and all that he has given to me. Meekness is nothing more than an acknowledgment of that. And just simply placing it under his control. Jesus tells us, let me just close with this. I know you said that five minutes ago. Jesus tells us when we reach that point, that place, that expression of meekness. Jesus says, you're going to inherit the earth. As born again Christians, the scriptures Uh, Assure us that we have inherited, we have access to all the kingdom of of heaven, all that it has to offer to us. But again, Jesus says, as you experience, as you express the quality, the virtue, the expression of meekness as Christians, you will inherit the earth and all that the earth has to offer us. Let me just be clear on what I believe Jesus is, is speaking to here. By inheriting the earth, it does not mean I get all the earth has offer, that everything on earth, on this whole planet belongs to me. It is mine. It merely means I will have access to whatever the earth has to offer that I need. I don't need all the food in the world. Neither do you. I don't need all the food the world can produce. I only need what Food the earth produces to meet my need. That's inheriting the earth. You don't need every house in the whole world. As if your inheritance of the earth depends upon that. That's just greediness. You just need a house upon the earth that meets your particular need. Jesus talked about this. Consider the birds of the air. As long as you have food and clothing, what else do you need? You don't need every piece of clothing the world produces. You don't need every pair of shoes or every purse. And I know that sounds blasphemous to some of you ladies. You only need enough to meet your particular need. It's that balance. It's that middle standing between the two extremes. That's meekness. Let me close with this. You can laugh. The expression of meekness, really, in the inheritance of the earth is by being content, by being satisfied, by being grateful for what you do have. The byproduct of inheriting the earth through meekness is when it begins to express itself in contentment, in gratitude, and in satisfaction. For all that I have. Listen to the words from the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4.11. He says, for I have learned. That tells me meekness can teach us this. To be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. The two extremes I talked about earlier. Paul says, I'm looking for the middle standing in that. What is it? He said, I have learned the secret of being Content in any and every situation on both sides of the extremes, whether well fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who gives me strength. Those are the words of a man who has inherited the earth through the virtue and the quality of meekness. The challenge of meekness and inheriting the earth for many of us is this our ability to receive more from God is often hindered by our lack of contentment, satisfaction, and gratitude for what we already have. Let me just repeat that in case you think I misspoke. Our ability to receive more from God is often hindered by our lack of contentment, satisfaction, and gratitude for what we already have. Our ability to receive. Again, some of you are having blessings withheld from God right now simply because you are not grateful, you are not thankful, you are not satisfied, you are not content with the blessings you already have. Some of you are experiencing lack in your lives because you are not content, not thankful, not satisfied For what you don't lack in your lives. Some of you don't have a better job because you're not satisfied, content, or grateful for the job that you do have. Some of you don't have a bigger house because you're not satisfied, you're not grateful, you're not content with the house you already have. Some of you don't have more money because you're not thankful, grateful, or satisfied for the money that you do have. Your response to God is, I want more. I'm not happy with what I've got. I want, I want, I want. Folks, that is not inheriting the earth. That is demanding the earth as if it's mine. It all belongs to me. You may possess all that God has blessed you with. But you don't own any of it. Everything you possess in your life, everything you have, none of it belongs to you. It is a gift from God. It is on loan to you. And the response that God is looking for in that is there is a place of contentment, of satisfaction, of gratitude in what we have. It opens the door. To increase in blessing. That is what meekness wants to teach us. That's the place meekness wants to take us. To that place where we are content in any and every circumstance. Let me close with this. 1 Timothy 6 says, well, religion does make us very rich if. That's the linchpin in that whole statement. If we are satisfied with what we have. Message translates it like this. It's about life, does bring wealth, but the rich simplicity of being yourself before God, since we entered the world penniless, we will leave it penniless, penniless if we have bread on the table and shoes on our feet, that's enough. That is the virtue, the expression of meekness. It's how it reveals itself. It's how Jesus is calling us to live as Christians and as a church. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you this morning, Lord. Just pray, Father, that, uh, again, I know that there's a lot to what we've taught here this morning. Father, I just pray, Lord, that you would take every seed that has been planted here this morning. And God, those seeds that are not of you, Father, I just pray, Lord, that those would be removed Father, the seed of the teaching this morning that is of you, Father, I just pray, Lord, by the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit, God, that that seed of your heart's open ground this morning, God, that those seeds would just begin to take root and begin to grow and just begin to produce great fruit in our lives. That, God, as we live and we walk in this world, God, that as we express ourselves, as we express our faith, God, may we be able just to find that middle ground that biblical response, that middle standing of grace and truth. And Father, I pray, Lord, that as people look at us, as they see our reaction, that they see our response, that, God, that they would see something winsome in that, that, God, that they would see something appealing in that, God, that they would would see something in that, God, that sets us apart from the extremes. And Father, I pray, Lord, that we would just have a heart to just desire to to seek more after you in this area of meekness. Father, I pray, Lord, that your spirit would just continue to take us deeper in this regard. And that, Father, we could be people, that we could be a church, God, where, where meekness is a virtue, that meekness is a quality that becomes a reputation for who we are in you. And Father, we know that this is a work of the Spirit. This is not something that we can do on our own. It's not something we can do in the flesh. It is a work of the Holy Spirit. And Father, we invite you to come and just to begin to change, to transform, to make our hearts, to make our lives a reflection, an example of meekness. And Father, we thank you, Lord, that in doing that, the blessing in that, Father, is that we will inherit the earth. And we thank you for all of this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we just finished this morning, I just invite you to stand as we're going to close in worship. If you've not yet taken communion and, and want to do that this morning, you're more than welcome to just come up, take a piece of the bread, dip that in the juice. We partake by intention here this morning. So we just invite you just to respond to God this morning through worship, through communion. If you're just in need of any prayer here this morning. Uh, We invite you to come forward. there will be people here that would love to pray for you. We're so glad to have Dave Brandt uh, back with us this morning after a a great uh, difficulty uh, with him, a medical uh, difficulty there. And God just intervened and brought healing there. I know they are so grateful for the prayers of this church. and, And we are a praying church. We believe that God changes lives through prayer. And so if you're here this morning and have a need, we just invite you to come this morning. We'd love to pray for you.